0: you really have to sort of see all the whole universe of content that your company has available and start figuring out where to slot those in at the right moments in the customer journey. Otherwise, all of that content is just gonna be lost in a black hole. It's gonna be underutilized. One day you're gonna wake up with tons of content that nobody is ever looking at.
1: Hey there, welcome to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and as always, I will be your host and bartender today. So as a PR agency that works with B2B SaaS companies, something we see from a lot of our new clients is that they aren't getting the value or potential out of their own content. So they're spending a ton of time and resources creating white papers, eBooks, webinars, guides, blog posts, the list goes on and on, but most of which sits dormant within their virtual walls or even still hides gated behind a form. We're going to talk more on that later. So in thinking about how to maximize B2B content, one company that stood out to us was Factory. It's a brand that recently partnered with our client Sixth Sense, and Cassandra Jowett, Factory Senior Director of Marketing, is joining us to talk about using content along the B2B customer journey. So let's get into it and grab a drink with Cassandra. Well, it is still technically AM hour here in Indianapolis, but I, of course, have no shame in drinking my Tito's and soda this morning. Um, I understand that you chose the Rumba cocktail kit, but seeing that you're in the office, so I'm I'm not going to force you to break company policy, but please tell me that you're going to enjoy it at another point in time.
0: I definitely will, and I'm excited that I have enough to share with some of my colleagues so we can all enjoy a nice handcrafted cocktail here in the
1: office um, later this week. Perfect. Perfect. Well, before we dive into using content to fuel the customer journey, can you give everybody just the speed dating version of what PathFactory does? So
0: PathFactory is designed
1: to remove
0: friction from B2B marketing by delivering the right content to the right person at the right time throughout the entire customer journey.
1: Love it. Short and sweet. How did you get into B2B SaaS to begin with?
0: Uh, like a lot of people, I just kind of fell into it by accident. <laughs> I, I went to school for journalism, actually, and I thought I would be a foreign correspondent traveling the world covering really important issues. And um, I just happened to graduate right into the recession in 2009. And you know, at that time, there were very few journalism jobs at all, period, let alone paying one. So I I met a startup founder and just sort of made myself useful at her company, Um, as a a student when I was still in school. And then when I graduated, she hired me full-time to become what she called me at the time was an editor, uh, basically starting um, an online magazine, which I realize now is just a blog. (laughs) But um, at that time, it was not very common for companies to have content On their website so we we were like this is an online magazine you're the editor and I ended up creating a lot of content to market both the company but also you know we had sort of a bit of an an internal agency creating content for clients um, showcasing some of our members our audience members so it was really sort of a full-blown content marketing and community building strategy um, as well as selling the content as a product and um, none of us had any idea any idea what content marketing was at that time or anything like that we were just sort of stumbling through it And then eventually, I got hired by a software company a few years later. And I realized like, oh, this is a real thing that businesses are doing. There's a strategy. There can be a strategy behind this. And
1: um, what I really need to call myself as a content marketer. So you have always had a passion for writing and have been able to turn that into something now that really serves a, a whole business strategy.
0: I'm sort of a weird, nerdy person that has always been a bit of a creator, I guess. It's not even just writing. Although, that, that is where I've spent a lot of time and, and focus but you know I taught my, myself Photoshop and HTML in high school and built a lot of websites. Um, so I think it was just sort of inevitable that I became a marketer at, at B2B startups where you had to sort of be scrappy and do a lot of things yourself. Um, you know writing is a skill that you know surprisingly a lot of people just don't have so it tends to be the thing that I get called on to do the most and um, where I can add the most
1: value but you know I think marketing is so much more than writing. Why do you think that is? Why do you think this is sort of like a lost art and hard to find?
0: Yeah, I struggle with that sometimes because people often want to create content, especially, you know, we're a marketing technology vendor. So we're, you know, marketing to marketers and a lot of people on other teams in our company are former marketers. You know, they might be a CSM or a salesperson or a solutions architect or something like that. And, you know, they miss the sort of content creation side of things, but they don't necessarily see themselves as a strong writer. And I think a lot of people believe there's this sort of myth that you're just born a writer and so if you if you weren't born with that talent then you're just gonna suck and you're gonna hate writing and it's gonna be really hard um, and I think what most people don't see is that the great writers just have so much practice behind them so many millions or even billions of words that they've written in their lifetime and that that is really, how they became a strong writer—it's not because um, they were just born with that innate ability. While well, I'm sure you know some traits help them along the way, you know when I think about how many words I was writing as a child, um, all through middle school and high school and university, you know that sort of confidence and the ability to turn complex ideas into really simple sentences um, ultimately just comes from having to do it a lot, getting a lot of feedback and coaching along the way from managers and mentors and instructors and, you know, putting it out into the world and seeing how people react to it and, and realizing that maybe you could have done better next time. So anytime someone is sort of struggling with that, I'm always like, you should just write more and that's how you're going to get better. It's not about, there is no hack to to doing this. There's no silver bullet. You just have to write and, and see what happens and learn from it and do it better the next time.
1: All right. Well, let's dive in. It's pretty safe to assume that our listeners understand inherently the value of producing content. What do you find though that most B2B SaaS marketers get wrong when it comes to how they are approaching a content strategy?
0: I think it tends to be a very top-down strategy often. And this is something that I struggle with even myself as a marketer um, at software companies. You know, The people above you often have a ton of really amazing ideas and they're getting all kinds of inputs from customers and investors and competitors. And there's just this whole wide world out there that, that they're getting inspired by. And they try to feed that back into your marketing team and sort of influencing the content strategy. And I think that is definitely one input that you should look at. But there are a few other things that most folks often miss, I think. And sort of one is working very closely with inter- your internal teams who are actually customer facing. So for me, it's, it's usually my sales team and my customer success team who are on the front lines having those conversations with prospects and customers every single day and understanding what do they know? What do they not know? What are their major questions and objections? All of those kinds of things can be really important. And they're a bit more pure because they're not influenced by someone feeling like they have to say a certain thing to an executive because they're a CEO or or whatever it is, especially when you're talking about the users, the more junior folks who maybe tend to get a little bit glamored by slick executives um, in those conversations. Um, so th- that's one thing. And I think the other thing is just data. Content marketers in particular are tend to not be very data-driven. And I speak for myself um, when I say that as well. It's been one of those growth paths for me is understanding how I can get access to more data, analyze that data correctly, make decisions around it, who on my team can help me with some of that analysis and and just charting it out and trying to figure out what it all means in order to bring that back into um, my strategy and make decisions about you know not just whether I thought this was good or whether our CEO thought this was good, but Do the people who are actually consuming this content think it was good? And how do we know that? What are the data points that we're using to evaluate that? And, you know, a lot of the data that's been out there traditionally has not been great. Um, You can look at website visits and form fills and things like that, but it doesn't really tell you whether someone spent enough time with that content, whether they thought it was too long or too short, whether there was a certain point where they kind of dropped off and lost interest in general. Um, you know, we kind of get the best data right now from from YouTube and things like that, where we can kind of see where people dropped off, but the sort of generic, the generic tools that are available to, to everyone in the world, um, Just kind of the quality of that data is sort of limited. And so really trying to figure out what are the best sources for that information and where can I find that has been a big thing for me personally and and something that I always sort of challenge my my peers in content marketing and marketing more broadly to think about, um, especially now that I'm at PathFactory, but even before. And it's a big reason why I was drawn to this company.
1: And that idea of working with customer-facing teams to create content, I mean, it seems like such a no brainer, but we see the same thing when it comes to content that our clients are creating is there's still this divide between sales and marketing with content where the sales team's craving more content, right? That they can share with their prospects and and use in that sales outreach. But by the time the marketing team is creating this longer form content, it no longer speaks to the customer because things are changing so quickly. And there's this push and pull that just never seems to be in sync. Can you give just a couple, maybe practical advice for those that are listening of of how to make time for, maybe it's a sales leader and and get on their calendars to, to involve them in that process and get them sort of bought into the process? I think leaders are great um,
0: and they will all, always have ideas. And I think Part of what they can do is act as a filter for you, especially if you have a really, really large sales team. Um, you know, I'm lucky; I tend to work at smaller companies, which you know have other challenges. But the number, the number of people that you have to interact with on any given day is not one of them. Um, it's a pretty manageable size. But if you're at you know a medium or large company that has you know dozens or maybe even hundreds of salespeople, it can be really hard to filter through all that noise. So I think. Asking the sales leader or leaders to be a partner in identifying trends in what more than one salesperson is experiencing at a time. Um, you know, if you're anything like me, you get salespeople running up to your desk with great ideas all the time. But you can't create new pieces of content for every single deal that's in every salesperson's pipeline. Um, there just isn't enough time or money <laughs> to do all of that kind of stuff. So, um, my rule of thumb is if I hear the same idea from three different sales reps. I actually start to think about slotting it into my ca- my production calendar um, and making it a priority. If not, then it sort of goes into my ideas bucket. And I think that um, you know those sales leaders can sort of help you understand where those trends are and whether there are needs that are are challenges for for more than one person at a time, and there is a greater need across the entire team. So that's that's one thing. And you know, part of that is just being like, if you if you tell me what what's happening on your team, I can. I can sort of figure that out. It's not going to be today or tomorrow. It might be next quarter or two quarters from now. But the more we have open lines of communication about this, the better. And also, I think it goes both ways. They can give you feedback about what they need. But it's also important to give them feedback about the usage of the content that you're creating. I know that's a big challenge for many marketers is, hey, I created all this content for the sales team and they're not actually using it or I don't even know if they're using it. So I think you need to find ways to measure that and give that feedback back to those sales leaders to sort of enforce the, the usage of the great content that you're creating. And then also just getting their anecdotal feedback about, is this making an impact? Do you find that people are responsive to this content in your conversations? Did it make make it easier to move to the next step? You know, getting some of those things can be a great win in the short term, especially um, if you... If you are selling enterprise software, enterprise services. It can take a really, really long time to see the impact of some of that content in in the pipeline and in the revenue. So that an- anecdotal feedback can be really critical to getting some, you know, some initial data points, even if they are small, about whether the content is working or not.
1: One of the things I wanted to address with you is how content is is traditionally bucketed. So content is traditionally thought of as a brand marketing owned function most often measured by email addresses and downloads. So I want to talk to you about how you think that this is changing. I think content is
0: is basically a salve that can be applied at every stage of the customer lifecycle from the very tippy top of the funnel from a brand perspective, all the way down through you know the discovery process, evaluation process, closing, when they become a customer and they're onboarding. Um, when you want them to adopt new solutions, new tools, upselling or cross-selling into new teams or new products into existing teams that are using your product, or even when they become advocates or when you want them to renew, there are sort of there's just information that your customers need at every stage of, of that whole life cycle. And I think marketers are really shooting themselves in the foot to think of content just as a brand exercise. I think there is a ton of value in creating brand-focused content that doesn't have a lead gen or a funnel metric associated with it. I think that's totally valid and I'm not against um, creating that content at all. In fact, some of the content that I love creating most is that brand content where we don't associate an MQL target with it. We just put it out into the world and we just want them to enjoy it and associate that fun feeling with Pathfactory as a brand. At the same time, they're, you should also be creating some really boring bottom of funnel content or content for customers that just helps them understand how to use your product better or whatever it is. And it might not be the content team or even the marketing team that's creating all of that content. Um, I think increasingly we have to think of content as everybody's job and um, as, as teams, we kind of have to come together and understand the full landscape of content that is out there in your organization. And so when we think about content here at Pathfactory on our marketing team, we're often looking toward um, the customer marketing team, the product marketing team, um, our solutions team, our CSMs, our sales team. Like All of these people are creating, especially at a smaller company like us, where you tend to get very scrappy startup people, everyone's creating all kinds of content all the time. Some of it is very official and design and and goes through the marketing team and, and is super brand focused, others are just sort of whipped together for a very specific deal or something like that. But you really have to sort of see all the whole universe of content that your company has available and start figuring out where to slot those in at the right moments in the customer journey. Otherwise, all of that content is just going to be lost in a black hole. It's going to be underutilized. And one day you're going to wake up with tons of content that's, that nobody is ever looking at. And also like the people who create that content will feel disengaged because that amazing piece of, of content they created isn't actually getting used. And also um, you kind of want your, everyone to have access to that content if it's, if it's for a specific purpose, not just... the the prospect in that deal, or not just the customer who had that specific question. You want the benefits to be spread across your entire business. So really keeping track of all that stuff, um, I think should be the responsibility partially of the content team. But a big part of it is just developing those great relationships with those other teams and figuring out where the connective tissue lives between your teams to keep people moving through the customer journey. Because content marketing is never going to own the whole customer journey but you just, you need to know sort of like where you fit in. And so, you know, when I think about my team, my team here is the brand and demand team, if you put that in quotation marks. And so we really own the very tippy top of the funnel, sort of to the middle bottom um, from a content perspective. There are other people, the product marketing team is creating content more for the bottom of the funnel, the customer marketing team and other folks in the customer organization are creating content for post sale. Um, However, we're trying to always communicate with them about what's going on and making sure that whatever we're creating at the top of the funnel, there is stuff to support it elsewhere through the, the customer lifecycle because otherwise people are just going to fall out and have nowhere to go from there if they're interested in that topic. So um, we're really always trying to increase those conversations and, and make sure we're super aligned in terms of providing a great experience to um, our buyers before they come customer, become customers and then our customers after they actually sign that contract and, and come on board.
1: I love that you said a brand and demand team together, living in harmony. It's so often a brand team, and then over on the other side, the demand gen team. So I love to hear that those are together. Something you said that you said earlier is that you want prospects to binge your content. So how should people, or how can people, deliver B2B content just like, like Netflix? How do we get prospects to slather on that content salve, as you put it, put on their fat pants and binge read our content?
0: You know, I think it's just natural human behavior. And actually, most B2B marketers today are, are preventing people from doing what they want to do naturally. Binging is just such a huge part of our culture now as consumers, whether you're on Amazon and you're just you have all these products that are being recommended to you, and so you add a bunch of stuff to your cart or... You're on Netflix and it just keeps playing the next episode until it sort of asks you very sadly if you're still there because you've been watching so long and you like haven't even moved. You know, wherever it is, we're just so used to binging and when we're in the mode of consuming that content and le- or learning about that thing or researching that solution, we're really not in it just for a single asset, um, which is how most B2B marketers are delivering content today. You just send people an email with a single asset in it. And then next week you kind of send the same email or even if they're on your website and exploring, they fill out a form and they end up at a dead end PDF that literally they have to go like back, back, back multiple times in their browser to continue on their journey. So, you know, I think we've been, you know, we, we've kind of been trained to create these one and done experiences. And increasingly we're just sort of living in the past as B2B marketers and we're not accommodating everyone's natural behavior and natural habits that all of these other companies have very um, nicely trained everyone to do as consumers. <laughs> so we can thank the Netflixes and the Amazons and the Spotify's for, for sort of training people to have binge behavior as a habit. And so what I sort of like to challenge marketers to do is to think about what is the next thing that you want people to consume after that piece of content. You know, is there a next step for them to take? Whether it's a piece of product marketing, whether it's another blog post or something else that kind of is on that topic, Um, you know, if you could create the ideal journey with your content, and this is easier if you have a bit less content, you know, maybe in the hundreds of assets versus thousands, you know, if you could create an ideal journey, like just try to put yourself in that person's shoes and say, what would be that journey for them? And I, I know, you know, a lot of, a lot of my peers in content marketing sort of have some content journey charts where they're, they're tracking, you know, top, middle and bottom of funnel, at least for, for each persona. I know we've done that exercise on my team in the past, and it really is an exercise worth doing to make sure that as people are consuming that brandy asset at the top, there is something for them to go to next, um, whether it's by accident or that you're actually packaging content up together. So, um, you know, I think there's great technology coming out here and from other companies that will help a lot with that because part of creating those personalized packages or journeys is that there's, there's a scale problem, right? Like as marketers, we can't know every single thing about all of our content and we can't know every single thing about what each individual person who's engaging with that content should do next. So um, artificial intelligence, mo- machine learning can really help with some of that stuff, help us scale the, the perfect journeys that as marketers we would like to create, but we just don't have enough hours in the day to do so.
1: You've mentioned form fields a couple of times. What's your stance on gating content?
0: so i've I've written a blog post um, and come out definitively against against forms. You know, at that time, I was just content marketing and not not running demand gen as well. Um you know, I think forms should be used as a way to identify unknown users, and that is all once they're known to you, you shouldn't have any other forms. Um, I was at an event recently where you know a Martech, another Martech vendor, was explaining that on the other side of every single nurture email, you should have a form so that you know when people are engaging with your content. And to me, that's just all wrong. If you already know who someone is and they're already in your database in their nurture program, and you know they're identified, they're known. You don't need to give them another form and insert another friction point in that process, if you if you want them to consume the content, just give them the content. Um, so I think, again, forms are sort of a solution that can be used in specific points um, in the customer journey where identification is beneficial both to you know the person and to the marketer. Ideally, if they identify themselves once, they never have to fill out another form again. I know that's not always technically possible. People lose cookies and their browsers and all kinds of stuff all the time. But you know, in an ideal world, that's what would happen. And and I think as marketers, we have to leverage all the great technology that's out there to eliminate as many of those friction points as possible and also give people the choice to opt in or not. I think we're being forced as marketers to respond to, to legislation around privacy and stuff. But even if we're not being forced, um, I think form should always be a choice not something that is mandatory. If someone just wants to consume your content, that's good enough, like get them later. Just get them consuming the content, get them interested in your brand, get them d- building a relationship. Just because you're not capturing that quote unquote lead right now, doesn't mean that they're not gonna come back later and identify themselves one day. You know, I think you just have to be smart about it. And as marketers, our job should really be removing as much friction from the customer life cycle as possible, not introducing it to serve our own goals. Yeah,
1: I'm finding that this forms versus no forms is really polarizing as I'm having these conversations. I just want I want to go to a marketing event and put all the forms people on one side, all the no forms people on the other side and just let them fucking cage match it out and see where it shakes out because it is there's very strong opinions on both sides of the house of this. So, I want to get a little more tactical and understood that being Path Factory, that all of your marketing campaigns are centered around content. But can you walk me through like one marketing campaign that sticks out that performed particularly well and what the impact was? We're actually overhauling it right now, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. It's a, it's a
0: program that's been running for years at this point. It's one of these amazing evergreen pieces of content that was applied as a salve at a p- particular point in our customer journey that was you know, having some challenges. And I think it's really a workhorse in our, in our marketing and in our sales process. And so I, I want to talk about it. Internally here, it's codenamed Caveman because there's sort of a little caveman character at the center of the story. And a few years ago, we created this basically little slideshow that walks through the story of a caveman um, who's kind of learning about all of these new things that are happening in marketing, how marketing is changing, and eventually becomes this you know, modern modern marketer, I guess, if you want to call call him that. So, you know, it's just a cute little cartoon story, a very basic way to explain what PathFactory does without explicitly selling our software. And, you know, the reason it was created in the first place was to um, respond to some, some challenges that we were experiencing in sort of the m- middle of the sales process where, you know, someone, our BDRs would get someone on the phone, they would agree to a meeting, and then one of two things would happen sometimes. Either they wouldn't show up at all, so that would be kind of disappointing, and clearly those people weren't being qualified very well or weren't actually interested. Number two, they would show up and they would just have no idea what PathFactory actually did. And so... The salesperson would have to spend a lot of time just covering the basics before getting into the really interesting stuff, and so we would often lose people within that hour. And you know, there there are questions about you know sales efficiency and all that kind of stuff. But as a marketer, all I can really focus on is is better educating those people before they get on the call with the salesperson, and then trust the sales team to take it from there. And if I can get them a little bit more educated before they get on that call, then it'll hopefully tee things up um, better for the salesperson. So we created the story. Really, really simple and cute and straightforward. Just a quick two-minute experience. Click through the little slideshow, watch a video at the end. And really the goal is for them, yes, to get educated on Pathfactory, but we've set up some really smart marketing automation triggers so that if they do engage with the asset, they'll get an email from the sales rep before the meeting saying, hey, thanks so much for checking out Caveman. We hope you enjoyed it. We saw that you spent five minutes and 33 seconds and you got this far through the piece of content. And it's just sort of a a cute way to show off the data that our our technology can collect while also thanking them for taking time out of their busy day to actually consume the content. And then if they didn't engage with Caveman, they'll also get an email that says, hey, notice that you didn't actually um, look at this. According to PathFactory's data, you spent zero seconds engaging with Caveman. Just wanted to make sure that you had a chance to look at it before our call, you know, insert date here. So we just tried to sort of use it as a way, yes, the, the piece of content is central to the story, but it's more just a way to capture engagement and then show that engagement back to to the prospect in those emails from the sales team. So it's been really effective. You know, Shortly after we launched it, we saw a, a, a really much higher um, show rate to the meetings and also um, more people converting
1: into opportunities afterwards. So I think it was pretty effective that way. And outside of Caveman and Path Factory. Is there a brand that comes to mind that is just killing it in the content game? Like who is your hashtag content goals brand? I think that Freshbooks, they're sort of the accounting cloud accounting software
0: for freelancers and small businesses. They have an incredibly complex content strategy, and the things that they're doing with a really small team over there are just amazing. They were sort of at the forefront of the content marketing in software. You know, movement even fifteen, ten to fifteen years ago, before many of us even started our careers. So it's just amazing to sort of like see that longevity and to see how the strategy has helped them grow their business over time. Um, and they continue to evolve as tastes change, as their business strategy
1: changes. At Blast Media, we pride ourselves on helping our clients extend the value of their content assets. So this conversation has been really interesting to me personally, and I appreciate all your insight. Um, before we go, do you have a signature or favorite toast to send us out? I guess I'm just a fan of the the good
0: old-fashioned cheers. I like to cheers and do a little clink and and celebrate
1: good times with friends and, and coworkers. Well, I will certainly drink to that. Cassandra, thank you so much for being on the show today. We appreciate your time. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Thanks again to Cassandra for joining us on the show. If you want to try Cassandra's Rumba cocktail, we're giving away a limited number of cocktail kits to our listeners delivered straight to your door. If you guys haven't taken advantage of this yet, please do. We're offering free booze. Just go to cocktailcourier.com slash sasshalffull and use promo code marketing to claim a free cocktail kit. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Until next time, bottoms up.